Again, I'll welcome everybody to the Carolina Bible Group, Bible Study Voice Room, uh, for today's study, which will be study number 53, uh, in our series entitled Angels and Giants, Fact or Fiction. And uh, the date stamp for today is August the 7th, uh, 2022. And yes, 2022 is getting going very rapidly. It's going to be in the record books before we know it. Uh, as always, the purpose of this entire study series uh, is to investigate the angels and giants mentioned in Scripture, and by doing so, try and alleviate some of the confusion uh, that some Scripture verses seem to generate regarding these subjects. And that's been our our point through this whole thing. Uh, and in particular, I believe some of the, the confusion, some of the greatest confusion that we see regarding angels uh, was contained in some of the verses that we dealt with last week. Uh, in First and Second Peter and in the book of Jude. And I hope that you understand that even today in the world that we live in, that these angels that sinned back in Genesis 6 and uh, took unto themselves all the wives as they chose, the daughters of men uh, that, that copulated with them and produced the unholy um, lineage of the giants in those days, uh, and, and also after that, I hope you understand that these angels that sinned are kept in gloomy chains, as the scripture mentions that they are both in First Peter, Second Peter, and in um, and in Jude's epistle. That they are literally held, and I don't know if you could call it. The scripture translates it as a prison. But it, it really talks about chains of gloomy mist. And I don't know what a prison for an angel would look like, but I know that whatever it is, is exactly what God designed for that particular purpose. And it does the job. And it holds them against a coming day of judgment that th- their judgment will be meted out by the Lord Jesus Christ, because he is the righteous judge. And he and he alone can uh, administer this judgment. But I believe when it comes that it will be complete, it will be uh, exactly what is needed, and they will meet their destruction. Uh, Because I believe that as we work toward God being not only all, but as it says in 1 Corinthians 15, God being all and in all, that as we move toward that, and the Companion Bible records this in the, in Appendix 198, uh, where the cleansing of the, the burning up of the earth and the destruction of all things that offend takes place. Where as it was in the beginning when there was just God and His will and no sin, that's where we're headed again, full circle. So as we move through this and understand what God's doing regarding Israel with these angels, I don't want you to miss the overall 35,000-foot fact that that's what we're heading toward. And we're heading toward God being once again all and in all. When all things are placed under the feet of Christ, and everything is meted out. All the judgments are meted out. All the rewards are passed out. All the resurrections take place. That once all these things occur, God will have a, a reconciled creation that he has purchased and brought back to himself that wanted to be part of a creation that loved their creator. So with that, I believe there's a requirement for the destruction of all things that offend. The things that offend can choose their own path. Even people that live today that want no part of God, don't want any part of His Word, if they want to be atheistic, they've got the right to do that. They've got God actually allows them to not accept Him. He gives them enough free will. But but get this, even on top of that, they have the life. And sometimes uh, evil people, well not necessarily evil people, but just 
unbelieving people that seem normal. Have a decent life. Have a great life. Have a, very, a lot of them have a very comfortable life. So even that's a blessing. But they are not forced. They're not forced. And I want you to understand this. They are not forced by God to accept the Creator for who He is. But their end, when it comes, they're done. They had a great life, had a comfortable life or whatever, but at the end of that life, whatever it is, whether it be good or bad, if they reject the, the Son of God, they're done. And so that destruction of all things that offend is, is I believe, a very accurate statement at the end of Appendix 198 in the Companion Bible. And all things will be placed under the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I didn't want to, you know, and the angel study wasn't meant to be a study about all this, but we're going to get into Revelation a little bit today. The Revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's basically what the book is named. A lot of people say, well, the book of Revelations. And yeah, there are many Revelations in the in that last book. But John wrote it as the revelation, singular. The unveiling, the apocalypsis, the showing of Lord Jesus Christ. And it's when he is revealed to the heavens and the earth and deals with both within this book. The book is an amazing book written by John. Yes, the same John it wrote, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that same John. And for a second, third John. Same guy. He had a special revelation of the coming, the apocalypsis, the personal presence of the Lord Jesus Christ at the Lord's day. That's not at Christ's day. It's not man's day. It's not God's day, but it's the Lord's day. The Lord's day is the subject of many, many Old Testament prophecies. Joel, Isaiah, Ezekiel, I believe, several of the other Old Testament prophets spoke of the great and terrible day of the Lord, the day that he returns to the earth. And you remember, when he ascended, in Acts, he told them, don't stand and marvel. Because the angels told the apostles, don't, don't marvel at this. This same Jesus that you see ascend, he's going to come again in like manner. And that's the little bit of where the book of Revelation and our angel study sort of intersect today. They collide. And so, we're going to look at the, the usage of the word angel in the book of Revelation a little bit. This is by no means an intense, nor is it meant to be a complete and intense study in the book of Revelation. It's just not. We're going to look at how the relevance of angels is in the book of Revelation. And we're also going to look at the relevance of the book of the Revelation in dealing with the nation of Israel and their hope of the apocalypse is their hope of the coming. The coming of the Son of God. Because this book, the Revelation, is primarily about God and is dealing with Israel. Now, yes, it has things that take place in the end. It has things that deal with the tribulation that's to come. The vials that are poured out, the trumpets that are sounded, that key certain things to happen on the face of the earth. And another thing I want you to see, that when we're dealing with the book of Revelation, and turn, turn in your companion Bible to the introduction to the book of Revelation here for a minute, if you don't mind, because there's a couple of things I want to call out to your attention, because I believe it's important to understand what importance angels have in all this in the book of 
the revelation. The word angel, or a derivative thereof, whether it's angel or angels, plural, is going to occur 72 times in the book of Revelation. Count them. If you haven't already, look them up and count them. So, I don't know that we're going to be able to look at every single one individually. And if we don't, I'm sort of throwing that on the backs of you listeners to... Check that out for yourself because you will never learn as much about a particular subject from me as you will between you and your Bible and the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you that right now. All I do is suggest some ideas and point you maybe in some suggestions and maybe give you, uh, maybe give you a few pointers. Uh, Chico, what is it you want me to repeat? The number of times, yeah, the number of times Revelation, the I mean the word angel is used in the book of Revelation, is 72 times. Yeah, 72 times in the book of Revelation. Now that's more than, that's a large percentage of the 283 times in the entire scripture. I believe it's 283 times the word angel or angels occurs in the scripture and 72 times out of the 283 are in the book of Revelation alone. And did you know, I don't know if you even knew this, well, let me get ahead of myself. There's so much here, as Lori says, I don't, I know what to say, I just don't know what order to put it in. (laughs) And a lot of times I'm like, yep, when you're going to do a study, that's the big that's the big challenge, is what order do I present the things that I want to talk about in. And a lot of times that is the challenge. But l- before we do that, let's look at the revelation, the structure of the book as a whole. And the structure of Scripture is one of the proofs to me that Scripture is Scripture. It's because it makes sense that the God of creation who created all things, that when he gives his word that it has order and that it has arrangement and it has structure to it. And this structure wasn't added. It was merely discovered by men who were studying the scripture who were obviously a lot more intelligent than Ronnie is and blessed more than Ronnie was. Because... Now that I know that the structure is there, I catch myself looking for it as I read the the scripture. Because to me, it it helps us. It's almost self-interpreting as you go through. You go, well, this goes with this, so I can ascertain both of these items to help me understand what God's really saying here. So the structure is very important. So if you look at the, the overall structure, of the book of Revelation. You'll see that it has an introduction in verse 1. Then in verses 2 and 3, the people on the earth are dealt with. And then from chapter 4, verse 5, to chapter 19, uh, 17 through 20, what you will see is that as John is getting the revelation... From the angel, yes, it was an angel, and we'll get into that in just a minute. That as John is getting the revelation from the angel, that the structure of the scripture bounces back and forth from things done in heaven to things that are happening on the earth. Things that are done in heaven to things that are on the earth. You see that heaven, earth, heaven, earth, heaven, earth as you go down. In the various steps in this structure. It's absolutely amazing at how God handles the structure of the book of Revelation, of the Revelation. And then in 21 verses 1 through 22, you can see that once again, in correlation to the people on the earth in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 1, we deal with the people on the new earth. You see how it works? how that structure works, even within the books. And then, as opposed to an introduction at the very end, in chapter 22, 
verses 6 through 21, there's a conclusion to the book. So you see the beauty and the balance of the structure of the book of Revelation. The revelation, the unveiling of, the apocalypsis, and ultimately the personal presence of the Lord Jesus Christ on the earth. Absolutely amazing. So, turn with me to Revelation chapter 1 now that we've been through the, the structure a little bit. And like I said, this is by no means not designed to be a complete study of the book of Revelation. I merely want you, when we walk away, I want you to see the angelic involvement in what's going on here. Why there are angels involved. Because it's the nation of Israel and the seven churches that we're dealing with here. And I want you to, to walk away with an understanding of where this book belongs in the dispensational plan of God. And we'll, we'll go over some of these things here in the, in the first chapter. So what I want to do, let's look at Revelation 1-1. And I want you to note here the first occurrence in the book of the Revelation of the word angel. And it actually is his angel. But I want you to consider very carefully where this revelation comes from. We're going to follow the trail of who gave the revelation to who, and then they gave it to who, and then they gave it to who. Because there's a, the first verse tells you the, the progression of where the revelation came from. And listen, the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ came straight from God the Father, I believe. Let's read 1-1, and then we'll talk about it. And Tony, thank you for posting. It says, the revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ, that's what the book is all about. The unveiling of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then you don't have to go very far before you figure this out. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Now listen to this very carefully. Because this, I got a diagram in, at the top of my Bible about how this, how this progression took place. I've had it in there for years. The revelation of Jesus Christ which was, I believe, conceived by the Father, planned by the Father, according to the will and purpose of the Father, because Jesus did what? I do only the will of the Father, and only the will of my Father do I do, is what he said. So, even the revelation of Christ was not conceived by Christ himself. It was conceived by the Father. And we have the proof of that right here in verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, Christ. Have you ever noticed that? Just in those first few words, it blows my mind. It's as if he pulled the son aside and said, Son, let me tell you how I'm going to reveal you at the proper time. Now let that sink in a second. Let me tell you how your revelation is going to come about. Let me tell you how it's going to be when you are complete and I show you to the world again. So it's the revelation of Christ which God gave unto Christ. To show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. He sent and signified it by his angel. So the father gave it to the son. You see that? Who sent and signified it by his angel. Now who is the angel? Who is an angel of the Lord Jesus Christ that would be called his angel. Is this a is this a personal angel? Is this Michael? Or is this Gabriel? Or is this some other angel? Just a question. 
But God gave the plan to the Son, Lord Jesus Christ, who sent and signified it by his angel, whoever that is, unto his servant John. So it went from God the Father, this unveiling plan, went from God the Father to the Son of God, to the angel of the Son of God, to John the Revelator, who wrote and bear record. You see the progression? There's five steps. God, Christ, the angel, John, and then his written record. And we have it preserved for us. Now, my personal belief, there's a note in the Companion Bible, that I, and it's probably the note in the Companion Bible, if you turn back to that introduction to the book of Revelation, on page 1883 of the Companion Bible, there's a note on item number three that says the time of the writing was probably A.D. 96. I do not agree with that, in the least. Because that's even after the destruction, I believe, of Jerusalem by Titus's army in A.D. 70. It makes absolutely no sense to me for the book of Revelation about the coming, the apocalypsis of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Lord's day to be revealed after the hope of Israel is set aside at Acts 28.28 28, years before A.D. 96. So if there was one note in the Companion Bible that I could change or take back, regardless of what theology expert said it, it would be this one. Because I don't see it. It makes absolutely no sense to me. And I totally disagree with it. But that's me. You need to study it out and look at it for yourself. I think the note is incorrect. I put the writing of the book of Revelation much earlier in the Acts period, probably around A.D. 43. And I do that because of what uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about, I was in the, I knew a man 14 years ago. And I also base it on the scripture in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. Where Paul talks to the Thessalonians, he says, Of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. I think it's First Thessalonians 5.1. He says, Because ye yourselves know perfectly well that the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. There was no way the Thessalonians could have known what was going to take place with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ without the book of Revelation, in my opinion. They couldn't have known it perfectly or even otherwise without the book of Revelation. And Paul admits that. He says, you already have information regarding the times and the seasons. He said, there's no need that I even write to you about that because you all know perfectly that the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. And it certainly does. So I place personally, and this is my own, my own belief, I believe it was written early in the Acts period, probably around A.D. 43 or so, which puts it some 53 years prior to what the Companion Bible note says there in the introduction of Revelation. A lot of difference in A.D. 43, which is before Acts 28, 28 and A.D. 96, which is 26 years after the temple is destroyed. Well, if he was, if he was uh, here and was crucified in 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 AD 29, uh, then 14 years would have been about the right time. About AD 46. I mean, even even the math of it makes to yeah, me it makes a lot makes of sense. sense. Yeah. Plus, the people of the Acts period needed to know these things because they were headed for A.D. 85. Why, if the target 
for the coming of the Lord was at A.D. 85, would the revelation be given at A.D. 96? That makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. They needed to know prior to what was going to take place. Which would have been roughly another 40 years. Another 40 years of waiting. So, I mean, you got to study this out. you got to draw these conclusions for yourself. I'm making my argument and my proof of why, in a nutshell, because we could, we could spend weeks studying out the reasons. But that's not the subject of this study. All I'm saying is that I believe this, this revelation came while it was relevant. It came while the kingdom was being preached. It came as a promise of that which was to come. The judgment to come of the great and terrible day of the Lord that the Old Testament prophecies spoke of. Isaiah 2, Joel, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, many of them spoke of the great and terrible day of the Lord. They all knew of it. Jude spoke. In the New Testament, Jude spoke of that coming day. Peter spoke. All the apostles spoke during the Acts period. Most all of them spoke of that that terrible day of the return of the Lord when the Lord comes back. They knew it was inevitable. It's going to happen. Now, the fact that it's been postponed still doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. It's still sitting out there in the future, awaiting God's call, awaiting God's fulfillment of His time before it is comes to fruition. So I wanted to get that out there out front before we got too deep into this study. But I wanted you to understand the progression most of all in verse in chapter 1, verse 1 of Revelation and where this plan for the Revelation came from. God did all the planning. Gave it to His Son, who gave it to His angel, the Scripture says, who gave it to John, who bear record of the desire, God's desires, and the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ of who he was. That angel brought all these things to John. Now John is going to go, we're going to read it. John's going to say, I was in the Isle of Patmos on the Lord's day. It doesn't mean, as it says in the note in the Companion Bible, he wasn't sitting there twiddling his thumbs on a Sunday afternoon. That's not what that means. Traditional religion has taken the term the Lord's Day and merely turned it into the first day of the week, which ain't the same thing. They call the Lord's Day a typical Sunday. And that is totally incorrect. That is not the scriptural definition of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And I want to get that out there, and I hope you understand that, because if you're thinking that the Lord's Day is Sunday, then you need to do a little more study. It is not. I hate to break it to you, but it is not. So, let's read again. The Revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto Christ, to show unto His servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God. See, this is the word of God. He, John is the writer, the one who bears the record of that which was given. And of the testimony, the witness of Jesus Christ and of all the things that he saw. When John was in the Isle of Patmos, and we'll read it in just a few minutes, it says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now, whether he had been moved ahead in time to the point where it was actually taking place, or whether he saw it in a vision as a movie being played out in his mind, or whether he saw it as a vision on a cloud like a TV, I don't know. I have no idea in what means God conveyed or this angel conveyed these things to John. 
when he got this revelation. I don't know. But he said he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. He was there. And this angel that was sent by the Lord Jesus Christ is kind of coaching John and telling him what to write and what not to write. And we see that as we go through the book of Revelation. Hopefully I'm giving you some things to think about. The next time you open the scripture and start reading and studying and trying to understand the book of Revelation. Hey, and it's difficult. There is a lot of symbology there. I think there's some things that are literal and I think there's some things that are symbolic. Personally. And it takes, it takes a mind, an open mind that's willing to rightly divide, I believe, to go through it and read it and understand it. And apply it the way it needs to be applied to who it applies to. Okay, let's read on. Who bear record, verse 2, of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. Do you see that? Well, now we got a problem with the AD 96 authorization, don't we? You can only write the time is at hand if what you are talking about is about to take place. Since A.D. 96, we are 2022. We're almost 2100 years from that. That don't sound like at hand to me. A.D. 85 sounds a lot more at hand from A.D. 43 the 2022 does from AD 96. Just let me point that out. Because that to me makes absolutely no sense. AD 96. So this book was given as a revelation of what was going to take place as a very pertinent time that was coming about 40 some odd years down the road. That makes, that makes sense. To me, I can, I can digest that. And I can see the warnings coming here. And I can understand that these messages from this angel to John to these churches that existed at this time, I can see how that's very prevalent. So you see, now you understand Ronnie's argument against AD 96 for the most part. John makes it very clear, guys, the time is here. It's time that you know the details because the coming time is nigh. It's close. So you see the importance of what's going on here with God's timetable. John, to the seven churches, the seven assemblies which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was, and which is to come. Man, I love that description of Lord Jesus Christ. To him which is and which was and which is to come. That takes care of all of it. No. The present, the past, and the future. Christ is what he is for all times. Amazing. And from the seven angels, you see that word spirits there? So John says, hey, to the seven churches, the seven assemblies, from me to the seven churches, and from these seven angels, which are before his throne, the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there are seven angels that are commissioned for these very specific churches. Everybody understand this so far? Is the revelation really hard to understand so far? It ain't to me. Not that I'm anything special. You just got to read what it says. And leave it where it is. And not try to make it something that it's not. He goes on to say, And from Jesus Christ, greetings from John, greetings from the seven angels, and greetings from the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, 
and the prince of the kings of the earth. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And hath made us kings, verse 6, and priests unto God and his father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, let me ask which one of you members of the body of Christ are going to be a king or a priest. Raise your hand. Does this have anything to do with being a member of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ? Doesn't look like it to me. I'm just saying. They had a specific goal in mind, and John mentions what that is. To him, he says, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then John gets down to the brass tacks. Behold, look at this, y'all. He cometh with clouds. And uh, uh, that's what the angel said in Acts 2. Isn't that amazing? As he ascended into the clouds, it says he's going to come back just like you've seen him go. Didn't he? Ain't that what he told the apostles? He cometh with clouds. And every eye shall see him, <laughs> and they also which pierced him. So either the ones that pierced him were still going to be alive, or they're going to be resurrected and see him at some point. Just saying. They also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Wow. When he comes, you're not going to have to watch CNN to figure out what happened. You're not going to need a TV. You're not going to need any news program. I think it's going to be pretty obvious if you were here. He says in verse 8, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come the Almighty. Man. Talk about being unveiled. When the cork is pulled on this one, there's not going to be a whole lot of doubt about what's going on. I've often said that the world is so messed up today that it's going to take Lord Jesus Christ to straighten it out. Well, let me tell you what. That's going to happen. At some point, that is going to happen. Amen. He is going to straighten it out. The destruction of all things that offend is a surety. And he will meet it out according to his righteous judgment, no other. So John's going to give a little personal testimony here for a minute. He said, I, John, who also am your brother, and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos, for the word of God, we've already seen that, right? And for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He was in that island for two reasons. To gain this word of God, so that he could preserve it, and for the testimony of Jesus Christ and who he was, out of his own mouth. This is about the same place where the shipwreck was, wasn't it? Yeah, real close. Yeah. Real close. Where he, where he was there for the 14 days on the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, the Isle of pa I don't know if it's the very island or not, but it's it's not far from it for sure. It's in the Mediterranean. Yeah. I'd have to see the map to know exactly yeah, where well, it is. Well, see, that, that's where we get most of our hurricanes from now that particular Gen yeah, generated there. Yeah, that, that's what he was. Uh, that's that's what finally got him to Rome. Yep. To begin with, and, and with all these things that goes that there. goes together. So John said, as we move into verse ten, he said, "I was in the spirit 
on the Lord's Day. And I literally believe that as Paul is speaking about this fellow in, I believe it's 1 Corinthians 12, I knew a man above 14 years of God, whether in the body or in, out of the body, I don't know, God knows, and said such a one was caught up in the third heaven. Well, John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. There's no way that a human could be moved to a place like that unless he was in the Spirit or protected by the Spirit. He said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. This is the day of the Lord, as mentioned in Isaiah 2.12 and so on. The Hebrew terms for which are equivalent to the Greek, and the Greek is he kuriake, uh, Homera, the Lord's Day. It occurs uh, in First Thessalonians five two, Second Thessalonians two two, uh, with the text it says in Second Peter three ten, not our Sunday, <laughs> in the notes on the companion Bible, the Lord's Day. Those are the companion Bible notes on the term the Lord's Day. John is moved or taken to the event as it's unfolding evidently in God's um, time continuum, however that may be. Well, it could have been just like when Christ, I mean, when, when the Lord, or when God came down to earth to talk with man, that he told them to take their shoes off this, this, this holy, holy place. Ground. Yeah. So, the spirit there could be the holy ground that that John was involved in there with these, because you know here's these beings from other places there also that oh it's very possible yeah it's very possible and it's like I said I don't know how God did it you know the the mechanics of it. Now, I'd like to know. <laughs> Don't get well, me wrong. He, As an engineer, I would really like to know. But I think he decontaminated the area that. And that's that's a very that's a very strong possibility. John says he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. He was moved ahead in time, evidently, or it was played out for him. Either way, it could have happened. I don't know. However, God chose to do it, or as Dad says, if he was. If in that spirit, that whole area became the Lord's day, I don't know. It's Scripture doesn't really allude to it other than John says, I was there. And you either believe that John... Here's the important thing, though. You either believe that he saw these things or you don't. You either believe the testimony of Scripture or you don't. I choose to believe it. Amen. I believe he saw exactly what he says he saw. Amen. And I believe it to be true. So he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, verse 10, and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the voice of the Lord, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book. Wow. And send it unto the entire earth, everybody in the earth. Is that what it says? That is not what it says. And this is often overlooked. He said, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. And he names them. Unto Ephesus. Interesting. And unto Smyrna. And unto Pergamos. And unto Thyatira. And unto Sardis. And unto Philadelphia. And unto Laodicea. The seven churches mentioned there. Each one has an angel. They have their own angel. Did you know that? You probably did. John said, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And this is his own personal testimony of what happened. Like I say, you either believe it or you don't. He said, I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And here's some of the symbology I was telling you about. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, 
clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, verse 14, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. Not coming on the back of a donkey like he did the first time. Not riding on the foal of an ass. A little bit different situation this time. Oh, yeah. Verse 15, And his feet likened to fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Wow. If you got this picture of what he's looking at in your mind, he paints a pretty good one as we're going through. He says in 17, I'm almost done here. He said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. <laughs> I probably would have too. You see a being like that, you just fall down before him. And he laid his right hand upon me. Look at this. Saying unto me, fear not, I am the first and the last. Oh, I am here. The Alpha and the Omega. Don't be afraid. I Moses am. said to the flame in the fire. I am. Who, who, who am I going to say going to say me? You tell them I am sent you. Yep. Okay. Good point. Now we know who the I am. I who am. Exactly. I am. The first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. Well, that makes that pretty clear. Yeah. As he only, at this point, has resurrection. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, listen to this, John. Guess what? I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of the grave. And of death. I know your Bible says hell. It's the grave. The keys of the grave and the keys of death. He says, Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. So he gets the personal charge from the great I am. To write these things. He said the mystery of the seven stars. Which thou sawest in my right hand. And the seven golden candlesticks. The Lord's going to interpret the symbology for him here. He said the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Ah. Each church has its own angel. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are. The seven churches. And as you begin to go through chapter 2, and we'll get into this a little bit next week because I am completely out of time. And I didn't get any word that I thought I was going to today. But as you begin to go through oh, yeah. chapter 2, you see that the church of Ephesus is addressed. In uh, chapter 2, verse 8, the church at Smyrna is addressed. In chapter 2, verse 12, the church at Pergamos is addressed. In chapter 2, verse 18, the church at Thyatira is addressed. In chapter 2, I mean in chapter 3, verse 1, the church at Sardis is addressed. In chapter 3, verse 7, the church at Philadelphia is addressed. And finally, the seventh. In chapter 3, verse 14, the church of the Laodiceans is addressed. And another thing I want you to notice, that at the end of the charges to each of these churches that, are, that come from the angel, there's a note about to him that overcometh. And a note about what these overcomers will receive. And it's pretty much different for every one of these churches, one of these assemblies. 
So just trying to call your attention to some things that were done so that by the time we get through all the churches, the, the notes to the churches, the messages to these various seven churches, John says in verse four, or chapter 4, verse 1, and we'll close for today. So here we begin with the in heaven. And it would be advantageous for you in the book of Revelation to where if you went through like the structure is, and if you label where the in heaven begins and where the in heaven ends for each of these books, it may help you a little bit. It did me when I did my Bible that way. So I've got a note here beside 4.1, in heaven. John said, after this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither, and I will show you the things, I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Things to come. And thus it begins. The revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. After the addresses to the churches, the personal addresses from the angels to the churches, then begins the apocalypsis, the unveiling of that which the angels, as the angel said here, was the voice said was to come hereafter. And we'll stop there for today, not to leave you with a cliffhanger or anything. But uh, I think there's things in Revelation that we can understand. I don't think God gave his word so that we'd just thoroughly be confused by it. I believe he gave it to us uh, to understand these things. Is this my hope? No. Are there things here that come in the last days? Certainly. Is it important and for us? Not to us, but for us? Yes, it is. I believe it is. Because all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for either doctrine, for reproof, uh, for correction, or for instruction in righteousness. One of the four. And with that, we'll close. Bow with us. Father, thank you again for this wonderful day. Thank you for the beauty of it. Thank you for each and every one that's come this way. Father, we pray that that which was said was said and done for the uplifting and glorification of the great I Am. That He would get the glory and the honor, Father, from that which is said in these studies. Father, we pray that you would give understanding and that you would give the keys of understanding and the enlightenment to those that have come this way that they may understand your word and understand, Father, more fully the things that you have written there for us. Be with us and all those that need a touch uh, from you, Father, thank you for bringing those in our group back to us healthy. And we pray for their continued uh, recovery through the various surgeries. Father, we pray for Dee that you would continue to bless her as she uh, convalesces and heals and, and Mike especially as he cares for her. Father, be with them and lead God and bless them. Be with us in all that we endeavor to do in your name to spread the word for the truth of the mystery, the body of Christ. For us in Christ's name today we do humbly pray. Amen.